Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and the Arrowverse apologist, Nick Bertapapas. Um, Nick, there's been a lot of controversy in the news lately. Um, you've come out in, in staunch defense of the CW's DC superhero shows. Um, everybody everybody is saying, how is he going to um, defend himself from this? How is he, How is he going to defend these shows? when everybody knows that they are goofy and ridiculous and that only losers watch them. I mean, we got to, to inspect this issue, to understand what's going on today in the Arrowverse, we have to first mm. look back at the history of the Arrowverse. We have to understand the Arrowverse's past to understand yes, the present. Exactly. And the Arrowverse's past begins with Arrow, Arrow, just Arrow. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you and I have been talking for a bit about the Arrowverse, and I haven't actually seen arrow in a really long time but those first two seasons are sick right they gotta be I, sick i don't know I've, I've seen like you know i never really watched the first two seasons i started watching this stuff with like the flash and then i like saw my brother watching episodes in the living room of arrow um and then i was like yeah i'll watch a, a scene or two um so i don't have a full comprehension of whether 13 year old me liked arrow or not I mean, it was it was like lost and like this ripped guy. He kept like the cool thing was like he had the bar and he would jump up levels on like pull ups. You know what I'm talking about? That was sick. He was so ripped and uh, he killed people and he was like, you failed this city. It was sick. I, I think it was I think it must have been good because if it wasn't good, then why are there so many spinoffs? Right. Yeah. And if those spinoffs are bad, then why are there even more spinoffs about them? You know, mm -hmm. say what you will about the Arrowverse, but it's the only consistent content, you know, video content from the from the DC side of things. DC. So that that might be true. <laughs> it is. It is true. <laughs> so maybe they should. Maybe the movies should be more like the Arrowverse. Maybe we they should all take a page out of the Arrowverse's book and just. Just make spinoffs because Arrow season one was sick, right? <laughs> You're telling me they should make something good and then spin off from that. <laughs> yes, I feel, just... I feel like we're 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 having, I feel like we're having a cultural conversation that's stuck in like the year 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you, they have one good thing, and then they just you just continue to have so much confidence in that thing that you spin off. And when, 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 when the critics and the people tell you, Hey, this is goofy and bad. You just, you just spin off even harder. You make mm -hmm. even more spinoffs. Don't blink. Something we were talking about before the show is that, um, you know, there are like five Arrowverse shows on, I think, um, which means that there's one for every night of every week, every week night of the week. Um, which means that, you know, if they're all airing at once, um, then there are people who dedicate their evenings to this stuff every evening. Um, and that's important to them. <laughs> I, I'm, we're assuming these people exist. You see what's happened, Joe? Because there's so many spinoffs, you and I have assumed that there's a following to this. That's, that's their confidence. They're like, we're going to, yeah, we're putting on a show every night of the week. Probably no one's watching every night of the week, but you and I assume that it's bigger than it is, that it's more consistent than it is. So I mean, they've they've got to have good ratings. See that? See they that it, it just happened again. This is <laughs> proof proof that is a good strategy. You mm -hmm. just have to you just have to have confidence in your own your own things and just 
keep spinning things off because the first season of stuff is usually all right. Yeah, I re- I remember um liking I think even as a child I thought more highly of the first season of the Flash than I did of of, subse- of subsequent se- seasons. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens with shows like that. Mm-hmm. Sitcoms usually actually you know what happens with sitcoms they get better. Well, because like the they, they they figure out sort of how the dynamics of the the actors, which are like usually comedians, um, so they need to have like actual chemistry. Um, so they like learn to to figure out good dynamics for the actors is part of it. Um, yeah, but these kinds of these superhero shows they start out good and then they get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Sitcoms I, find their sweet spot in the middle, and then like are there are there other examples of like superhero. Because I know, like DC makes other shows for like HBO. Um, Marvel just made Wandavision, which is like it, you know, a different sort of thing. Uh, I guess there was like Agents of Shield, which was on I for like eight seasons. Believe that that got worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's. I'm just true. wondering if that's like the rule, or if if. <laughs> I don't um, know. <laughs> I think it's the rule. It's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of when you, you know, it's sort of in the sitcom format, not the sitcom format, but you know, <laughs> hey, I'm going to make an episode of this thing every day of the work year for years. And I don't really have an end in mind. Like, it's not just, it's not just that kind of show. It's also like, you know, Grey's Anatomy or, or something like that. That kind of like, like the, the, like factory produced, not factory produced, but like, you know, it's like consistent. It's like a work year for those people. Mm-hmm. that sort of show gets worse and worse and worse always yeah i mean so so we've done a lot of talking about shows that we haven't seen uh <laughs> nick can i tell you about i think Grey's anatomy gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> i don't really know i actually I mean, don't look, know anything look it's like 17 seasons long i'm sure that there is some sort of quality drop off maybe not maybe there's like a Grey's anatomy renaissance happening right maybe. now. <laughs> Maybe they get the dynamics of the actors correctly and they start, they start realizing what will finally make it funny. And then it gets funny in like season 10 (laughs) and they they finally become the sitcom they always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Nick, can I tell you about a show that I've been actually watching with my own eyes? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, my so-called life is my update on that show. Hooray. Um, you know, there's something that, that you and, and, and Ben are big fans of, and we've talked about on the show before, or, or you guys have, and I'm about, I'm about halfway through. I sort of keep bouncing on and off of it. Not really like due to any fault with the show, just like getting busy with other things. And then I get back to it every once in a while. Um, but it's largely, I think really good. Um, I think as we've talked about before, my so-called life is like kind of, I would argue like precursor to Freaks and Geeks. Um, it came out like five year five years before and, and introduced a lot of sort of ideas and character archetypes that that show uses. Um, you have like this main character who has recently moved into a new friend group. You have like the sort of possibly sleazy guy that she's into. Um, and like the central thrust of like both shows um, is, is that protagonist like finding her place in the world. Um, in, in sort of thinking through that comparison where this show differs from Freaks and Geeks is that you don't have the, the compare and contrast with, with the geeks. Instead, like you, you get most of the B-plots are going to like stories about Angela's parents, like usually her mom. Um, 
so in that way like it becomes a show about um how angela and like her mom find different paths like through adulthood um navigating that um yeah there's there's actually um thinking about the show in terms of that there there's like one really good episode about like body image um that i think highlights that in a good way and doesn't like talk down to its audience and it's probably one of the better episodes i've seen of the show um but you know what's really good this one episode that i watched recently mm-hmm. um nick do you remember the one where the substitute teacher shows up yeah i like that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's it's um good it's known it's sorry it's dead poet society yeah exactly um so basically like you know angela her her english class um has not had a teacher pretty much for the whole show um and there's been sort of a background gag that has popped in and out of different episodes but in i think it's episode seven or eight um in that episode a new substitute teacher shows up and he's like the most amazing guy ever he's so quirky and he inspires them to to write from their hearts um as you said it, it, it's very dead poet society um but then it like the the story keeps twisting um because it 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 takes a i think natural step into like the school wants to censor the literary magazine they've made because there's what like one uh poem that's like really obscene or they think it's obscene it's not that obscene it's, um, it's really not obscene at all it's, yeah it's very funny but it's um, about sex right she's like yeah his body but it's like i think it's i think by like the standards of like modern television it's pretty tame yeah um anyway um so it's it the episode becomes about like the school and the principal trying to censor the magazine but then it twists again um because you find out that the substitute teacher maybe wasn't like such a great guy um and that like something happened in his past um and it kind of sets you up to believe that like he might actually be like this really horrible monster um but what, like what we find out is that he's just like this this flawed very complicated guy um in like you know in bad ways but not ways that are like unfamiliar or that like make him kind of alienated from us like you know you could have found like that he that he was a murderer um, and that would have totally changed the dynamic of the episode and I think would have removed some of the nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a great moment for for Angela about growing up. Um, and they're all the thing I didn't even mention in this episode is that there are like three other really great threads for like other characters just happening in the background. Um, like we finally um, get a little bit of resolution for the idea that the Jordan Catalano, the, the guy she likes, um, doesn't know how to read. He never learned how to read. Wait, 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 Joe. Is this, is this the episode that says it's called why Jordan can't read? Uh, I think that's a separate one. Um, are you the, sure? I might be. Okay, is it the episode so the... called why Jordan can't read that never addresses why Jordan can't read? So there's a different one where her and Jordan um, sort of approach be- becoming a couple um, that I think at the beginning. It's the one seems after. To be, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a show with, I think, a lot of um, empathy for like pretty much everybody in the world. Um, 
and it makes it a, a really rich experience. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I like it, so that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're accepting it into your life. Sounds like you're still a little early on. I know it doesn't feel like early on, but it, it does kind of kick into higher higher gear. Yeah, um, I know. I know with like Freaks and Geeks, which I also rewatched recently. Like that one has a string of of five or six episodes in the back half that totally elevate it. Um, and I, I could see something similar happening here. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I think, you know, having watched um, both semi recently, I think the main difference is, well, it's actually, it's interesting you say about the mom. I think that, you know, both are sort of exploring the ideas of the show through sets of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I really, I hadn't thought about that for a while, but I think that her mom is one of my favorite parts of the show because it's, you know, it's funny because she's so much older, but they're going through like exactly the same things. And it's just, it's so funny because her mom was like popular and hot in high school. So she didn't have to go through this stuff. And now she's older and she sort of is. And I just, I really like that idea that like, like the like Angela being unhappy now is like actually making her a better, you know, more capable person for adulthood in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also like that. I think um you know, it's it's a cool little dissection of adulthood because I I feel in so many teen shows we only get the teenagers or if the adults show up they're kind of one-dimensional um and they're there to be authority figures or counterpoints um or like sources of wisdom. Um and in my so-called life the adults are given around as much um you know, agency and depth. Uh, and I think they're allowed to be flawed in similar ways to the children or the teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's cool. I think, I think the main difference, you know, I was going to say like when I'm watching though, it feels that definitely feels that my so-called life is a little more grounded. Like if I had to totally. describe it, I would say that my so-called life sort of feels like when you're at home and freaks and geeks sort of feels like when you're out, if that makes uh-huh. any sense. I think I think Freaks and Geeks has a slightly elevated quality. Um, you know, they, there's some extent to which Freaks and Geeks is. I mean, Freaks and Geeks is like a, a comedy, um, at least a little bit. Uh, let's say like twenty five percent comedy, um, and my so called life is is pretty much just a drama. We can be kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, let me tell you about my gift to you this week, Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my gift i was telling you a little bit because i was so excited when i was watching it but it's called it's a movie it's a sports comedy movie from 1992 um and it's called white men can't jump that's the name of the movie um mm-hmm. and it's by it's by director ron shelton who i hadn't heard of but apparently had maybe the most well this white man can probably his most successful but he also had another movie um about like baseball and like he used to be a baseball player so he has sort of insight into that sort of thing um oh yeah his his other famous is called bull durham bull durham do you, do you know do you know this or can you help <laughs> I me don't. man my someone someone said parabola totally wrong today and i was like oh my god how embarrassing um because they clearly <laughs> didn't know what a parabola was and um i think i just did that so anyways um yeah, so he's sort of known for these sports movies, and you can, uh, you can sort of tell, you know, like he's, 
you know, he's definitely invested in the idea of sports, but it was interesting to me that that's sort of the background of the director. Cause this movie feels way more character focused than anything else. And like, there is a dynamic of basketball. Uh, and I think that that plays into sort of race dynamics that are explored in the movie, but they don't play so much into like the basketball aspect of things. Like basketball is just sort of, like I'm trying to think like if you could replace basketball in the movie with something else. And I think you sort of could if you could sort of remove the cultural aspects of basketball also, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Like these two characters just happen to be good at basketball, if that makes sense. But it's not like the big moment of the movie isn't really a basketball game. There's some big like basketball action scenes like that, you know, are you're invested in. But it, it's interesting because this movie is like I, I told you is the twistiest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And I totally okay. stand by that. Don't, um, don't spoil things for me if that's the case. I won't spoil things for give me, you. Give me a present, but a premise. It just like really doesn't follow the regular structure of a movie. Like mm-hmm. it just it's it's got like a couple more elements thrown in, um, and you sort of. I think what happens, at least what happened to me, is like oh, I was like oh, I'm watching a sports movie, um, and I was like okay, so now the two okay, so basically what happens is it stars first of all it stars. Um, Woody Harrelson, if you didn't know that, which is absolutely sick because he's a great, and, he's a great uh, actor. And we- Wesley Snipes, <laughs> and, right? Yeah, and Wesley Snipes as well. Yeah, and then um, uh, Woody Harrelson's um, fiance, I guess, is um, I didn't know her before, but I just watched her recently in an HBO show, and she was in Flight Attendant. I don't know if she's been in anything else. Uh, oh, she was in Do the Right Thing, apparently. I don't know. Anyways, I just looked her up, but she's great too. Um, lots of great acting in this movie, but it's um. Yeah, it just it, you think it's going to be like, oh, those two, you know, those two main characters team up uh, and you sort of get the dynamic of them hustling people for basketball, you know, money. And you're like, OK, this is going to go on and they're going to become friends. And, you know, at the end, they'll win the big game. Right. Or they'll lose whatever. Like, you know, one, two, three, let's say. Um, and instead, what happens is that. Well, I guess I won't tell you instead what happens, but not that like it just <laughs> like, like it's it still works that way in the character beats. But the way that they get there is totally different. And it's really interesting. Like the midpoint of the movie is really the last. Well, that's not true. There's another big basketball game, but that one's just they don't they don't put as much emphasis on it. And then there's there's another sort of exciting actiony sequence, not actiony, but like you're invested in a, in a game, let's say, and it's not basketball. And it, it happens <laughs> in the third half of the movie. And it's so exciting. And it's like, can I just tell you a little? Can I just tell you a little? Okay, tell me a little. Oh, I can't because then you'll know. Oh, okay. garbage. All right. <laughs> Anyways, it's sick. <laughs> and then um <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole other aspect of like there's like also a mafia like B plot, which is why they need money in the first place. It's like mm-hmm. there's so much going on and no like no time in this movie is wasted whatsoever. And then the the main the main flaw of the character Woody Harrelson is that he's sort of got a gambling addiction in a way but with like betting his money on his basketball skills. And that's just like great to watch um, because it makes it so much more interesting, especially like he wins a basketball game and you're like, okay, great. His money problems have gone away. And then, and then he like does some dumb shit or he's about to, and you're like, this sucks. And so it makes it, it makes it really like mainly a character film. And it's, it's got a lot of loose dialogue. Uh, Like it, it opens and it's just a bunch of like guys without Woody Harrell. So they're, they're playing basketball on the court. And it's sort of his like underdog introduction to them. He's like, 
he's like he looks like a chump you know he's the only white guy and they're like wows everyone you know you know how it goes with the underdogs um and that's sort of the introduction but that's like you know it's like 10 15 minutes of like dialogue or maybe maybe not 10 i don't know a good amount of dialogue between the players um just you know naturalistic just them playing around and messing with each other before he sort of enters and it's it's awesome to watch it's kind of like watching you know like um i thought i mean i you know i knew what i was watching you who's directing it but i was it was kind of like watching a spike lee movie i was like whoa like this is cool mm-hmm. like i feel like i'm way in it um yeah so it's like genuinely exciting the twistiest movie i've ever seen it's got a lot of star power um it it does you know what you like with with the you know buddies buddies who hate each other at first um it does a lot that you like with underdogs exciting sports games um and yeah you don't even know where it's going man you don't know where this ride is taking you it's like actually a great movie it's so i was so surprised i'd never like been recommended it before like it mm-hmm. is i think top 20 movies for me I, I would give this movie a 10 out of 10 i think it's fantastic wow okay i really like your enthusiasm um dude it's, i'm into it I'll it's take so it. good i i'm not kidding around here man it's really good you should watch it. It's, it's another, like, I've been watching so many movies recently, but all the movies I watch aren't on any goddamn streaming services. Where are all these movies that are just, like, have no home on a streaming service? Isn't that so <laughs> annoying? Like, I, everyone's always talking about, oh, we've entered the new age of streaming and this and that. And it's like, have we, though? Like, wh- like why can't everyone just find a home? Like, pick a partner. Like, it's, it's happening now, you know? You can't be, you can't just be a film. Isn't some of it, um, that like streaming services are primarily only interested in movies that are sort of recent. Um, and they have like this bias towards anything that came out before the year, let's say 2000. I have no idea. Okay. What I've, what I've read is that there's kind of a modern bias, um, in streaming sites. So they want popular current movies and that's why like HBO max, I think is, the one that has because like warner brothers has such a big back catalog like that's the streaming service with by far the most movies from before like 1980 yeah that's actually a really cool aspect of hbo max yeah um once again we're we're not sponsored by hbo max but we we could be yeah it is it is nice to have those old movies i watched like tokyo story and i watched what else i watched a couple old things that were just there that was nice oh by the way joe i also watched um kid detective oh yeah Um, what'd you think well apparently you told me it was going to be dark but i wasn't listening or something because i just (laughs) i didn't i just didn't have the right expectations like i just thought it was like a funny like goofy like little mystery and it just got it got really hard and heavy and it was like it does it got later and later into the night you know got darker you know when i was watching and i was like this sucks man so i did kind of like it but that was another movie that didn't have a home on a streaming service I was like, this mm-hmm. sucks. And Kung I think Fu that Panda. One... Where is Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> Where is it? That came out after 2000, Joe. <laughs> I have to rent I'm... Kung Fu Panda. Can you believe this? I'm this actually insane. shocked that Kung Fu Panda isn't on a streaming service. I, me too. How about all the other DreamWorks stuff? <sighs> Nick, you, you wanna... Nick, do you want to move on? I do. I mean, I don't, but I do. <laughs> uh, Nick, today we're talking about Scott Pilgrim, the, the first three volumes. 
Um, this comic's pretty famous, uh, but in case you don't know, uh, Scott Pilgrim is about a slacker who meets this new girl in town, Ramona Flowers, um, only to discover uh, that if he wants to date her, um, he'll have to defeat her seven evil exes. Um, it's very like manga and video game inspired. Um, and uh, it, it wears those influences on its sleeve. And I think that's a, a part of why it was such a huge hit. Um, anyway, the, the first three volumes cover Scott's battles with Ramona's first three evil ex-boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's written, drawn by Brian Lee O'Malley. And the, the color editions have um, special colors by Nathan Fairburn. <laughs> yes special colors um they're they're nice colors man they are they're really good colors um yeah it's i think it's funny that you said that right away about um wearing the influences on the sleeve i think that my first impression rereading these was like i was like this is so weird i was like this is the weirdest thing i've ever read in my entire life (laughs) um and i think it's nice because it gets it gets i mean i don't love the first first one that much like i really don't and i think that part Mm -hmm. of part of the uniqueness of the world and you know his humor and writing is you know kind of why i don't like it but this is to me like a story about some guy who was like unabashedly like himself in his writing if that makes sense and and drawing and i think that it sort of has a happy ending because it gets really good and you sort of get on the vibe of of the the book and the world Mm -hmm. i think you make a good point because I, I, I personally like what I've believed about Scott Pilgrim for a long time um, is that the, these arcs aren't um, like one to one because I think the book starts out quality wise better than Scott as a person. But I think as Scott gets better as a dude throughout the series, um, the books also get better <laughs> in quality. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Um... No, and you, you you do come to care about at least some of the characters. I mean, I, I haven't gotten full yet because I only read you know we read the first three, but I'm sure that I will mm-hmm. because, I mean, I think it's I think it's fantastic. Like it's just like there's just so many elements that he sort of just throws at you out of nowhere, and like once you get on that level, like it's actually enjoyable. But at first, it's off putting, you know, like um like the coins or I don't know, like out of nowhere, it's like oh yeah, like evil ex boyfriends, here we are, we got to fight us, like. It's not that it's not established, but it's kind of <laughs> random. Like, that's not how anything works. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, does that make mm-hmm. that? That would never happen in real life or in any show. You know, like fighting. Why? Like, why would you have to fight someone's exes? But it, you know, once once you get through one or two fights, and then the, the they die. I guess he kills them. Okay, he, so so there's a not to interrupt. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley has recently stated uh, on like his blog. Um, that when the evil exes die, they're not dead for real. They just like respawn in their houses. <laughs> okay, that's I, fine, whatever. But you know, for all intents and purposes, without the blog extra lore, like they die, they die, and then they after they die, you're like, what just happened? Like I didn't know that Scott had superpowers to fight this person, and then they drop coins, and you're like, what? Like what? And then Scott's goes, oh coins, and then he goes to get the coins, and then his joke is like. And then there's a joke after some of the coins where he's like, oh, this isn't even enough for the train. And Ramona comes up and she's like, I'll, I'll lend you the 15 cents, loser. And it's like, that's the joke? Like, what a weird joke. And it's like a series of like, <laughs> like weird things that this author is clearly just into. And like, you know, once you get on that vibe, like I said three times already, like, it's actually funny. Like, it's just weird, but it's funny. Like, it, I mean, it is like, and it's, it, yeah. you know, became popular and they, they made a movie. So obviously something was working and I just. I guess I like that that story of triumph, 
you know, the, the underdog, the weirdo, the weirdo who wrote weird stuff eventually was accepted because everyone, you know, figured out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody dug his vibe. I think I don't, I don't struggle as much with like the opening uh, volume of Scott Pilgrim. Um, like I think it is quality wise inferior to where the series goes later. Um, but I also, I think like, it sucks. I think it's really bad. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I don't, I don't have like the curve of adaptation that you, you have where like, I, I need to adapt to where Scott, I don't need to like meet Scott Pilgrim in the middle. Um, I'm just like, I, I guess I'm there already. Um, probably because I already know a lot about like video games and stuff or I did when I was 13. Um, and I've no, I read this book. So this is, you know what this is like, it's like adventure time or something. Like when you're mm. a kid, like anything makes sense, you know? And I sure. think you read this when you're a kid, right? Yeah. So you probably just, you know, you got down with it and I'm like an adult and I can't, I just can't open my brain. I can't open my melon for it. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think, um, you know, what you're, what you're saying about the, the characters and the, the, the dialogue being funny is, um, you know, I, I, that's true. Uh, uh, I think to me, some of this is like nostalgia. I just find this, the, all these books immensely quotable. Um, like that part where like, Scott's like, yeah, my parents are off in Rome. Um, and then there's like this, this flash inside Scott's brain of what he, he thinks Rome is like. Um, and they're just like these little sketches of like a Vespa and like the leaning tower. I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, Scott Pilgrim has a very distinct energy. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, the, the amount of time that we spend with the characters and their downtime, um, and just like, honestly, trivial conversations, uh, like, like who most, most books, if they were plotting efficiently would not spend like three or four pages, on just what recipe Stephen Stills is making um, when they're they're like <laughs> eating lunch, um, and I you know I, I'm not I'm not necessarily insulting uh, like the plotting of uh, of the books. I, like it is a, a pretty slow paced book, um, but I, I I do think that what really comes out there is that Brian Lee O'Malley is really good at, at dedicating time to to seeing the characters as real people. Um, and I, I think that that like trick that that sleight of hand works so well that even though like Scott is so pathetic and terrible at the beginning of the series, you're you're still kind of endeared to him, at least for me. No, I hate Scott. I okay. hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I'll also, it. Joe, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna break your world right now. Okay. But I think that said Stefan Stills. No way. It's spelled with a P and an H. So. Um. I don't, he's not, I don't think he's really a big character in the movie, but I have said Stephen Stills my entire life and I'm not changing that. I know you have because I I read it Stephen a bunch of times and then I looked at it and I said, that's not Stephen. And I bet Joe is going to say Stephen because he read this as a kid and I just wanted to. His name is Stephen Stills. I wanted to break your little, little heart because I think his name is Stephen. It... Uh, no, because my brother and I, when the video game got re-released last month, we were playing the video game and Ben was playing as Stephen Stills and we both called him Stephen Stills and it's two against one. So I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know Fine. what you're talking about. I guess you can sometimes spell Stephen like that. I'll buy it. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. What were we talking about besides that? Uh, dialogue characters. Right. Right. Oh, I don't like Scott at all, and I I think that okay, yeah. he. I, I mean, this book opens, and like the first thing we learn about Scott is that he's mm-hmm. twenty three, dating a seventeen year old, and like that's not a great introduction to someone. Yeah. No, it's weird. It's it's <laughs> and it's like look, if that if that then, was a real guy, we wouldn't be friends with him. We'd think it, he was a creep. Yeah, dude, it was weird, and like it's it's just weird that the book stays on that beat for like a book and a like a little, like it's more than uh-huh. one volume, right? And it's like it's like okay, so he's dating the seventeen year old, and I guess he hasn't done anything because it's more of just like he wants to hear gossip or something. They are they're very clear, I think, about the fact that Scott probably would not do anything creepy to knives outside of the creepy fact that they're in a relationship. Um, it's because he's like, you know, emotionally arrested. He's, he's in arrested development and he wants to be in that time of his life. But also, yeah, it's like, it's a pretty weird thing to put in a book. I'll cop to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just like a lot, I guess, you know, I don't know. That made me like, you know, it's just kind of weird stuff like that at the beginning where it's like, that's all they talk about. Like a lot of that book mm-hmm. is just like him and his friends reacting to that. And his sister calls and is like, oh, I hear you're dating a 17 year old. And I'm just like, I'm just like, what's going on? Like, I don't like this. And I don't like Scott. And then like, it gets worse because Scott just proceeds to like cheat on her a little and then like try to break up with her, but is too cowardly. So he continues to like cheat on her. And then like, later breaks up with her except only when he's like threatened i think what, what was it like he just he's forced into it and then i don't know but all those things make me like off the bat like it's it's basically i start off on the wrong foot with scott um mm-hmm. which i think is fair on my part you know I, i'm yeah, with I, I, I think that's fair i'm with the book because it's super entertaining and you know fast pace you said slow pace but like there's a lot of action going on at all times if that makes sense sure yeah um and it also taps into that sort of that lizard i mean that that good good juicy part of the brain where everything all the characters talk about all the time is like relationship stuff and it's just like kind of it's kind of good you know Mm -hmm. it's that guilty pleasure um yeah i mean i mean they they, they're always talking the focus is always on character dynamics which is the best part about the book yeah but they they talk a lot about like girlfriends and boyfriends and stuff and you know yeah (laughs) that's what i meant like it's, it's kind of like it is a little redundant sometimes to me um but anyways, I'm with the book. I think it's, I think it's sick. I think it, it really does get funny, especially in the third volume. Um, third and, volume, I think, is where it. Third it, or fourth volume for me is where Scott Pilgrim becomes like, oh yeah, this rules. Um, yeah, I I have to wonder if I was like, not thirteen, and if I didn't have the complete set of all six volumes, if I was maybe like a bit older and I just found the first volume. I don't know if I would have been as into it because <laughs> like, I, I keep thinking about the first volume as like this isolated thing where that came out. And then there was a year to the second volume. And I, I, I just don't know how, how compelled I would be. Yeah, that's fair. But anyways, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. We're, I mean, we're I, down I, with I, it. Yeah. We're, we're down with it. Um, I think that it gets, I think it gets really cool when you sort of, everything kind of goes to, to hell, you know, you'd sort of like adventure time as well. You're like, all right, well, anything can happen and everyone has superpowers and, you know, people die. And like, once you're done with that, then like knives is like, I'm going to, I'm going to throw knives at people. And it's like, uh oh, <laughs> except you're already down with it. And it's, it's fun. Um, and it's actiony. And I, what? I was just going to say, I, I, I sent this to you 
that scene where she shows up in her in her new sort of superhero style getup yeah um, has <laughs> the funniest fucking thing i've seen in a long time <laughs> you know she says something to remember me by she's th- she throws a knife into a wall the knife has a note in it ramona picks it up uh the note says you're ugly and i hate you <laughs> yeah that was funny i liked it i mm-hmm. too bad you sent it to me before i read it in real time joe yeah i'm so sorry sad. no it's okay i laughed twice um yeah it's fun it's like a super fun book and the art i, I really like the art in the third volume um mm-hmm. i think that it's like cutesy but like also like really dynamic and expressive yeah i think i think the art is definitely like pretty noticeable um that it improves over the course of the book i think his his layouts are like always i don't know if dynamic is the right word um at the beginning um because really what he does is just like employs a lot of heavy bleed i think they get really dynamic later on um you know, something that bothers me about like his early art, especially in the first volume, is to me a lot of the scenes are just pretty flat. Um especially like when 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 they're outside. Um and in like his notes uh for this volume, he talks about how he um sort of wandered around Toronto and, and drew actual houses. Um and it it just feels to me like we're looking at a, a drawing of a photograph sometimes in those early scenes. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. This is this is like big level nitpick for me, since it's like only something I'm picking out on what is probably my tenth read of this book. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair I guess. Um, we keep ragging on the first book. Uh, I'm gonna say some things yeah. I like. Here I go. Um, okay. I like that. Um, I'm really invested in Scott's relationship with Ramona because it sort of starts out pretty fun, and you're like wow you know this is kind of cute and then you realize that there's sort of this big huge you know like seven volume fight that's going to happen one at a time with you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you start to start to get the pace of like okay one one boyfriend a a book and sort of while that's happening it's sort of an uncomfortable situation for them and i like that that sort of you know weird fantasy element interacts with the the real world relationship they have, if that makes sense. I mean, of course they take place in the same world, but I like that, you know, an element of they're, they're like getting along is sort of like, man, like we got to keep going to these places and like interacting with people from the past. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's very muddy and you sort of, I mean, at least I was a little like, I'm not actually worried, but I'm worried, you know, I'm like, I'm like, man, like this sucks. Like, why can't this just be over? So these two can be happy together. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. because they sort of were at the beginning and now there's this huge challenge ahead of them. And uh, I think that works really well as like, you know, an allegory for Scott's getting over his um, exes and stop, you know, you know, growing up a little, that sort of thing. And I, I think that, I think that you, you sort of feel the pressure through the challenge he's facing yourself because you're going to have to wait a long time and you're going to have to, you know, watch him and Ramona get through this. Yeah. I also think that like, you know, it's it's just a good, not even metaphor, but just like literalization of like getting to know someone. Um, something I think I'm gonna give a lot of credit to the book here. I don't know if you've seen the movie, um, but I think I the movie the movie totally botches Ramona as a character. Um, she's basically you know just like Reina um, in blankets <laughs> um, in that movie. Yeah. Um, and I think in in the comics, what's cool about her is that 
you know, maybe we don't know her quite as well as we do Scott. Um, but I think the, the book gives a lot of life to its side characters, um, particularly Ramona. Really? Um, and it, yeah. Tell me more. I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm into that yet. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't happen quite as much in the first three volumes. Um, so maybe I should actually save that for whenever we talk about the later ones. Mm. All right. Well, I believe you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, Ramona is kind of like, uh, what's your name from Blankets? Um, okay, I'll give you that. She comes in, she likes Scott for some reason. The same, same thing. I was like, why do you <laughs> like this creep weirdo? Uh, they get along. I'm like, okay, this is cute. Oh, this is actually exactly like when I was talking about Blankets, more than I thought. Yeah, and then I'm like, okay, I guess they get along. That's cute, I guess. Um, and then she's upset with him for weird reasons. And I'm like, wait, why? And like, there's just this uncomfortableness that sort of takes over and... I don't know. It's, it seems a lot of the time like it's just like Ramona's mood is like something for Scott to overcome or, you know, something he's causing, basically. Like it has a lot to do with him. Um, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, th- I think especially here. Um, yeah, I'd say that's valid. Yeah. I also this is like another thing I do like is that, um, you know, it is sort of like oh, one boyfriend per book and you sort of get into a rhythm with that. But there's there's so many variables mixing things up like in the third, well, that was the third one, right? Where Scott's ex-girlfriend comes to town and she's more famous now in, in her band. And I know they used to be in a band together and especially the flashbacks with Scott and uh, what's her name? Uh, her, you know what I'm Kim? talking Yeah, or Kim. Anna? No, Kim, Kim, Kim. Okay. When they were like kids, I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is my favorite thing I've read so far. Like, I think that oh, was yeah. the beginning of the second one. It's just so like, you, you, you know, in those sequences, you sort of realize how invested you are in the mystery of everyone's past. And I think it's, uh, it's cool the way he breaks that up. And I, mm-hmm. I, I remember the one thing I do remember from my first read is how well it sort of comes together. Um, yeah. 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 I think so. Um, something, something you said about Ramona reminded me, um, and this is another huge nitpick. Um, so she has like this thing uh, where in moments where she's, uncomfortable or her ex-boyfriend Gideon is mentioned uh her her head starts glowing um which is explained in uh, I think the fifth or sixth book um and 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 my my big nitpick um which I've had for years is it doesn't look like that's what's ha- what's happening <laughs> um, it looks like just big like, lines yeah it just looks like even in the color version which you'd think um and I, I I think the colors are great um and they give like a lot more life to this book that was already like, I think had a lot of life in the drawings already. Um, but yeah, the, the, the lines just like don't communicate that her, her head is like giving out light. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that was what was happening. I thought it was just sort of like cartoon lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like later on, I think in like volume four or something, uh, the characters start referring to it as like her head glowing. Um, and it's like, is that what's happening? I don't know. I, that yeah. sounds small and insignificant. But I've said thanks. a lot of nitpicks today. Thanks, Joe. Oh. Um, moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's I was talking about it a little bit before, but something I don't like about this book is sort of the amount that everything is about Scott and his relationships and how everything revolves around him in a big way, even though he's so annoying and terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate that. It makes me annoyed. Um it's like, you know, Kim's still in love with Scott or something, whatever's going on with her. You know, Scott's ex is like a big thing. Knives is his ex. And she's like 
killing people. I don't know whatever Knives is doing. She's crazy. She's really in love with him. Like I think Knives gets a huge short shrift in this series. Um, like I was talking about them fleshing out characters in later volumes. I don't think Knives gets that much. I, I think Knives works. She sort of had a little arc up to three where she's like, I've grown up a little and I, I enjoy that because it's, oh, I, th- I think she, I think she continues to grow in the background. Um, and I like that for her. Um, I just, I, I always feel bad for her. Yeah, man, me too. <laughs> uh, just, yeah. Her life sucks, but also, there's more. Wait, who else is? There? Oh, and then Ramona for some reason really like wants to date Scott, and then like all all the villains in this book are like, "Oh, you're dating Ramona." Like, I'm angry, and like, like it's, it's just all about like him, and it's like I just like that annoys me because I don't like Scott at all. Like, I don't understand why all these people like him so much. Like, he's kind of the worst. He's complains, and he's like, like you were saying about Rome, like he's just like, like ignorant on purpose, and like that's his like little <laughs> joke, and it's like all right, Scott, like, I guess this is hard for you. You know, it's like the first volume. Is that the first volume? It's called Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life. Is that right? Yeah. I think that, you know, does a good job describing his attitude. And I, I get that, the you know, the book acknowledges that he's the worst. But, like, I wish I liked him more already. Uh, maybe I will later, you know? Um, I think that's fair. I think, especially in later volumes, um, I think, I, I don't want to, like, get too much into that because we're not there yet. Um, I think the the book does a pretty terrific job of of knocking Scott down a peg, but I, I I do I do agree with you that I think that creates problems in engaging the book, especially if you're like if you didn't read this as a kid, um, then it sort of becomes a book about fighting the protagonist, um, even when the book sort of kind of wants us to find him endearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, who are my favorite side characters? I like, I I actually do like Ramona a lot. I just like her, like, I like that she changes her hair a lot and doesn't really care that much. I think that's kind of funny. Um, I like Wallace. I think he's funny. I like, I like his life. I like his lifestyle. I like that he just hits on everyone. I like, I don't know. I like him. I like that he tells Scott to stop being a loser. I think it's great. Um, Mm -hmm. My favorite part about Wallace is when, he invited a guy to stay at Scott in his place, even though they only have one bed and hadn't asked Scott yet. Um, and he also didn't have the keys. And they ran into Scott, and then, and then, and then he got the keys, and it all worked out. And he was like, "Well, I figured it would all work out when I invited you." I was like, "Wow, I love Wallace." I know that was complicated, but Wallace is the best. Who else do I like? I also like Scott's sister. Yeah, those are the characters I like. Who do you like, Joe? Uh, I like Kim. Oh, Kim! Kim's the worst. Kim is the worst. I hate Kim. Kim's the best. <laughs> How does Kim the like? All Kim does is complain. She's selfish. She's selfish. She should be with She's Scott. hilarious. Maybe that, this might be true, but angry people are usually hilarious. Angry, miserable people. Dude, Kim's so fun. Kim's just got a lot to work on on the inside. Fun? Yeah. She's, no, she's not fun. She comes around. She complains. She's clearly in love with Scott, or has something going on with that, and she just won't acknowledge it. She's, she, I don't like her. I don't like Kim. She's too self-involved. Maybe she belongs with Scott. Did you ever think of that? No. no. Because no, she's actually selfish, that. unlike Ramona. She, she's all about her and her issues. So maybe she should be with Scott. Um, yeah. I don't like I don't like Stephen or Stefan. It's up in the air. Stephen. All right, fine. I don't like Stephen. <laughs> he's kind of just boring. I like young Neil. Young Neil is chilling. I like him. He's just, he's just trying to get a girlfriend. I think, I think young Neil and Stephen fall sort of into the category of like 
characters who are present, but they're kind of gags and like most of what happens with them happens like between volumes or off screen. Mm. I also like Steven's sort of girlfriend, Julia, is that her name? Yeah. She's cool. For some reason, I like her, even though Scott doesn't like her. I guess it's because she's so against Scott. I think that's why. She's like, Scott, you're the worst. Like, don't date this person. And I'm like, yes, Julia. What was her name? Julia. I was like, yes, Julia. Julia is the only one who understands me. I really like Julia. I wish this book was about Julia um, and how she, she had to kill Scott or something. That would be cool. Um, anyways, yeah. Um, there's a lot to like. I like. I like. And I think it's just going to get better. Mm-hmm. I, I know it gets better. Very smart. Um, That's my take. Joe, should we should we get a little off? Um, you know this uh, discussion about Scott Pilgrim. Get a little on. Um, get a little on our usual programming. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Nick, you you, uh, you want to talk about Wandavision this week? Like, I guess we do every week. Just not sure. on the show. Hell yes. Let's talk about WandaVision. All right, let me go first before you mope around oh, and yeah, pick yeah. things. All right. Go, go, go. All right. Well, um, you know, here's the thing about all Marvel movies, whether you know it or not, or don't care or not, I don't care. Marvel movies, not that good. They're not they're never that good. They are they're action <laughs> movies, and that's what they are. And they have they have funny effects, and sometimes they have funny one liners that are funny about twice. Uh, and if you ever see that movie more than twice, it's not funny anymore. Um and they also have a fun, fun aspect of being connected. And um, in, in a sense, they just keep spinning off and we have confidence that it's good. That's kind of what's happened, if you think about it. Because I think Iron Man sucks. And then I, they just spun off from that and they spun off and spun off. And eventually someone made a good movie. And now we believe that these movies are good for some reason. But they're not. It's just not good. Um, and that's what Marvel's movies are, but they're also super entertaining. They're super entertaining, and everybody talks about them, and they're, so they're great. And um, yeah, WandaVision came on, and I was like, wow, I'm really excited for WandaVision. And then it was like a sitcom for a little, and I was like, this is shocking and unlike any Marvel thing I've ever seen. And it made me laugh. Um, and then it was like, and then it later it sort of became like every other Marvel thing I'd seen. Uh, and I was like, great, a- another win for Marvel, because there was laser beams and fighting and a superhero battle and... I don't know. It connected things. It got me wondering about what was happening in the future. Um, it was exciting. It had some good acting. It had some funny lines. Who knows? You know, it was an adventure. I found it very entertaining, just like I do all Marvel stuff. Um, and Joe, whatever you're about to say, whatever the hell you're about to say, I don't know what you're going to say, but whatever you're going to say, man, you know, you're going to say something like, oh, it disappointed me. And I'm going to go, oh, yeah, it disappointed you. So what does that mean? You're not going to watch uh, the next show that's coming out next week, and you're probably going to watch it because um, that's what we do as a society. They spin off, and we have confidence. Go ahead, Joe. Wow, I feel like my 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 mouth is just a, a, a ticking time bomb. Um, I could. <laughs> I I think I'm not actually going to be as harsh as I plan to be. I I have like structural critiques of Wandavision, uh, but I I I, I think that. Um, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head in sort of how to approach um, MCU projects um, in that, like, you know, I have all these expectations of all of these going in because I have so much affection for Marvel Comics. Um, and I, I, I you know, that, that, that's or a genre that I respect. Um, and, and I do on some level, like, you know, want these adaptations to, like, blow my mind. Um, and that, that never really happens. Um, and I always come out 
a little bit disappointed. Um, and then I but just then you watch the end credit scene. Uh huh. And, and then, then you're because like, because there's this yeah. cycle of excitement um, where I think I don't know, maybe this is the one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I I, I think. What I sort of came to the conclusion, uh, the conclusion I sort of came to before WandaVision came out, really the conclusion I came to like several years ago, um, is that like the the primarily the thing that is exciting about MCU stuff is the social interaction aspect. Um, I really enjoy that I got to watch this show and talk about it every week with you. Um, <laughs> maybe uh, and- maybe the WandaVision, maybe the unusual couple was you and me the whole time, Joe. Maybe yeah. Maybe we found the Wandavision in our own in our own shared vision from our mm-hmm. heads. Sh- sure, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I I think I'm 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 definitely at the point where I, I I no longer believe that like you know. I guess I did when I was a teenager. I believe that like you know someday they're gonna make like an MCU product that is gonna like blow my mind. It's gonna be like the craziest. Well, superhero movie I've ever seen. Wait, Infinity um, War like, didn't blow your mind? I Infinity War was great. I I don't like Infinity War that what? much. What? Infinity War is the best. It's I so, have other problems with it. Structural. God damn it, Joe. <laughs> Just lower your expectations. Yeah, it, I know. I know. Yeah. I should I should be expecting like good three and a half star movies, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah man. You know, I I. I am like interested in the MCU as a TV thing because I think it might help with some of the problems the movie of the movies have had. Um, Cause like one of my main issues there is that they sort of pretend to be like a big connected overarching story, but really it's like a big game of improv. And like, there are so many times where like character arcs or plot beats are just dropped between movies. And that frustrates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think no it one has of, character development, which is too good. Yeah, things yeah exactly. Um, and a lot of the movies like, you know, really because they're like even though they're um trying to be they're trying to be both independent uh things and also like part of this broader franchise and they they don't do either particularly well so i think most of the time with mcu movies (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i think most of the time with mcu movies like you don't get a satisfying like individual thing you get like maybe sort of satisfied if you've seen all the other mcu stuff around it um i think maybe like the only exception is like i i like guardians 2 a decent amount i think it does like good character work i think it's also like really stupid at times (laughs) um yeah those those are my those are my mcu hot takes all right i'm gonna go one last time and i'll have the last word all right joe so don't even try it sure all right the first thing is that when when you said you got excited for things and then were disappointed, whatever you said, and I said, oh, no, it's because I realized that maybe that's what life is like. And I thought that was kind of funny. So I said, oh, no, sorry about mm-hmm. that. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is that I know I said all those mean things about the MCU, but I think that Winter Soldier has more to say as a movie. And Oh, I don't. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't really care what you think. Um, I think that it, it does at least a little. And maybe we'll talk about it after the show, Joe, but... You know, mm-hmm. it's got it's got a little bit going for it, and that's kind of the only. Exce- oh, and Infinity War and Endgame are awesome, obviously, because they sort of satisfied me, and they didn't. End, I don't. I don't really get disappointed. Endgame is a cool movie. I, I really. I. I saw. I don't Endgame. get. 
twice in theaters. So I thought it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, Endgame's just kind I, of boring. I, I, look, Anyways, look. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I just didn't. I just say I was gonna have the last word. Okay. Okay. Control yourself. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, it! I can't even remember what I was saying. You want the last word, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I do. All right. All right. Um, what I'm gonna say is that I have. I think I've finally learned to temper my expectations um, with these things. And I think, you know, I have a good time with these. They're not, they're, they're never really great, um, but that's okay because I can, you know, watch other movies. Um, you know, what's totally satisfying in every way. White men can jump. That is a totally satisfying movie. You should watch it. Sure. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess, um, I guess where I'm, where I'm at here is, uh, you know, uh, MCU is all right. All right, we're we're done with you. Come on, get out of here. Let me get some wisdom up in here. Okay, okay, give me some wisdom. Give you me want some? some get someone. You want some MCU wisdom, Joe? You want some? Uh, M- sure, give it to me. <laughs> uh, okay, I won't. I'll give you some other wisdom. This one's from. No, you, um, no give it to me. Give it no, to no, me. no. It's okay, Joe. It's okay. It would be appropriate. I, it, it would no, be appropriate. Joe, I can tell it's gonna hurt you. Okay, so I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna move on. Save it for another day. Um, if, it's, if it's the line, I think it is. I liked that line. I Joe, I don't care. Let me let me just say my wisdom. I'm the wisdom master. Um, all right, this coming coming to America. The sequel came out, so this one's from Coming to America, not the sequel, the original. Okay. 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 Um, done. I want a woman that will arouse my intellect as well as my loins. That's not really wisdom. <laughs> I think that's the first time it really hasn't been wisdom, but oh, it kind no. of is. It's, I, I think we've had like you know kind of misogynist like really? lines from like you had like you had something from Mad Men or something that was like oh the dress yeah yeah I mean, that was pretty misogynist but it's from Mad Men what'd you expect <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm I'm just saying we 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 don't endorse sexism on this show um, I'm not sure that it is wisdom but I guess it's wisdom okay um. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com, where you can send us letters or tell us about books you want covered on the show. Uh, my handle online is at joby underscore draws. Um, you can buy our comic, Jake Escape from Wizard Island, which is linked in the description. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes or, or something. Uh, stay safe. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>